Xtox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing Magnus Medical's neurostimulation technology. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter, Mira Nabulsi, as well as a very special guest on our podcast today, Dr. Brett Wingeyer, who is the CEO and co-founder of Magnus Medical. Magnus Medical is a company focused on developing neuromodulation devices for the treatment of neuropsychiatric diseases. Magnus Medical recently received breakthrough device designation from the FDA for its personalized rapid-acting neurostimulation system called Magnus System for the treatment of major depressive disorder. To learn more about the device, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Wingeyer to ask him about how this innovative new Magnus system works. Great. Thanks, Aisha. And uh, um, it's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, the, uh, this, this is a form, of, it's a form of neuromodulation that uh, stimulates in a very personalized, very effective way, the parts of the brain that are, uh, that, that are responsible for the symptoms of major depression. You know, stepping back, um, depression is a, it's a biological thing, and it, it's really important to remember that. Um, everybody's brain is a little different, but there's, uh, there's one part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, that is usually hypoactive, underactive in depression. And there's another part of the brain, the subgenual cingulate, that's a, a deeper part of the network that's overactive. And this is a technology that uses fMRI to figure out exactly what's, what's the sweet spot in the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, right, kind of on, on, your, on your left forehead, that's most connected to the deeper structures that are related to the symptoms of depression. And by stimulating that at a, at a personalized target and with a dosing pattern that leverages all of the underlying neuroscience around how do you stimulate, what pattern, what timing, and so on, uh, it, it has a, a really rapid acting profoundly effective uh, result in the treatment of major depression. And so I know that the technology was also um, developed in conjunction with Stanford's Saint Technology. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So my, uh, um, my, my co-founder, Dr. Brandon Densley, and a team at Stanford, at Stanford's Brain Stimulation Laboratory, with Dr. Nolan Williams, he's a psychiatrist and neurologist. Um, they've spent the last few years figuring out um, you know, how, do we, how do we take some of these underlying technologies um, like magnetic stimulation of the brain that have been known and FDA cleared for a while, how do we take those and how do we engineer something that really works better than anything that anybody's ever seen before? And so they, you know, they, they started with this approach. Well, we know that every brain is different. So let's, let's personalize the targeting. Um, mm -hmm. Then uh, they looked at the underlying neuroscience and figured out this pattern of pulses and dosing and sessions. And the and and, and then they, you know they they tried it in they tried it in um, 
individuals, participants with depression who were really in really in need. Um, you know, what, let me digress a little here and say, you know, treatment-resistant depression is it, it's a really really tough journey. Um, and you know, not 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 to be flippant, but it's called treatment-resistant because it's really really treatment-resistant. Um, once once one of the meds doesn't work, um, you know, the chances that another med is going to work, uh, it, it gets lower and lower. And, um, you know, these are, these are, these are people who, um, you know, they, they, they've, they've, in many cases, they've spent many years um, suffering from major depression with, without a lot of other options for something that will work. So in, in the first study that was done over at Stanford, they figured out, uh, sorry, they, they, they took six participants, um, you know, one of these individuals, he had had major depressive disorder for 40 years. Um, he hadn't responded to a uh, hundred sessions of conventional magnetic stimulation, um, 15 medications, 30 clinical trials, six sessions of electroconvulsive therapy, uh, sometimes known as electroshock therapy, a vagal nerve stimulating implant even. And uh, the team was able to bring him to remission in five days, which is which is amazing. Um, and, you know, that's one of the themes here is, you know, I've, I've been in the medical device industry for uh, more than 20 years now. And, and this is, it, 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 it's the biggest effect size I've seen in two decades in the industry. So five out of these first six patients uh, were brought to remission in five days or less. Uh, they did another series of 21 patients out of those 21 patients, also people with uh, you know, profoundly treatment-resistant depression, uh, they brought 19 to remission. That's about 90%. Um, then all of the professional societies and journals kind of set up and took notice. You know, that was published in 2020, and they said, well, that, that's fantastic, but let's see a randomized controlled trial. And that's the part of the story that brings us to today. Uh, they did that randomized controlled trial. Um, it was meant to have uh, was meant to have 60 patients, but they actually had to stop at uh, at 29 because it was so effective that it was judged unethical to continue with the placebo treatment. So uh, they did a great randomized controlled um, sham controlled placebo controlled study and uh, saw a 79% remission rate after five days in the treatment group and only a 13% remission rate in the placebo group. So, you know, again, really rapid acting, um, really effective. And, you know, this is a technology that we're now carrying forward as Magnus. We've gotten the, the exclusive license from Stanford to further develop and commercialize this. And uh, we're, we're going to be able to bring this to the world and, and help a lot of people in need. That's amazing. Um, you mentioned that it's rapid acting. How long lasting are the effects? How many treatment sessions, or is this a one-time thing? Basically, how how persistent are the results? Yeah. So, um, in in many people, they're very persistent. And you know, just stepping back, um, this is five days of treatment. Um, it's an intensive five days. That's kind of part of the breakthrough here. And it's ten sessions a day for each of five days. And one of the reasons that's important is. Depression is a, it, and psychiatric disease in particular, um, there haven't been a lot of really effective, fast-acting treatments for it. Um, every, you know, every other thing that can go wrong with your body, 
you know, let's say you have a stroke, you go to the hospital and they say, welcome to the hospital. There, there's more things we can do for you now that you're at the hospital. We have TPA and catheters and stents and this whole, um, you know, this whole portfolio of technology. But with psychiatric disease and depression in particular, you come into the hospital and you, you know, first of all, you, you sit in the hallway of the emergency room for maybe days waiting for a bed in an inpatient center somewhere. They uh, they tweak your meds, um, and it, at the end of the day, there's not a lot that they can do acutely. So you know, that, that that's a big part of the breakthrough here is that it is that it works so fast. Now, your, your question was about um, was about um, relapse after remission. Depression is episodic, and a lot of the patients that were studied, uh, they you know, they're apparently out of episode, and they've they've never relapsed, which is great. Um, there's a subpopulation that relapses. Um, in some cases, maybe that's another episode, maybe it's not. Um, you know, there, there's, there's another sub, subpopulation that might relapse after, you know, in the worst case, weeks or months, but we also have data showing that we can retreat them and we can, we can put them back into remission. And so this almost sounds curative in a sense then, um, as opposed to just treating the symptoms. Yeah, you know, cure cure is a strong word. It is, um, you know, but I think uh, you know our our mission and what we think there is a lot of hope for is to is to be able to not just restore but to sustain mental health and you know to to do that with with this as the core technology and to help help keep people well in the long term instead of just uh, just in the short term. And so, can the device be used for any other indications? Um, obviously, in the neuropsychiatric space right now, this is indicated for major depressive disorder. Are there plans to um, uh, branch out into other conditions? Yeah. So, um, just just to be clear about one thing, um, it's uh, it's our the indication that we're pursuing from FDA is for major depressive disorder. This is still it's still an investigational technology and. Um, we certainly hope to gain uh, FDA clearance, uh, hopefully in the fairly near future. Um, but that said, you know, going forward, um, you know, if, for the moment, it's focused on major depression, and that's where the data are so far. But there's so many of the so many of the diseases and disorders of the brain are what you would call network pathologies, and you know, it, it's. Um, disorders where there's, you know, there's one part of the brain that should be doing this and another part of the brain that it's talking to and, and you know, maybe more parts of the brain involved because that, that's how the brain works. It, it's a big network. And the key, to the, the key to the symptoms is that something in that network is, is out of whack. There's something that's a little too active and something that's, that's not quite active enough. And we've needed for a long time, we've needed technologies that balance out those interactions. Now that requires, requires an understanding of, of the brain. It under, requires an understanding of you know, what, what are those networks and how do they contribute to the disease? And then in a given individual, how do we find the exact right place to target to treat this? Um, so the, to, 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 to answer your question, there's um, a, lot of the, a lot of the diseases with Real human impact, uh, particularly psychiatric disorders. Um, I, I could I could kind of list a laundry list here, but uh, you know everything from from chronic pain to bipolar disorder to um, you know things like 
uh, substance use disorders and anxiety, PTSD. You know, there's um, you know, our understanding of the brain is growing. They are network uh, network diseases, and that's the kind of thing that we hope to understand more about and hopefully uh, treat in the future. So I just had a question, actually. So uh, what is the expected cost of the treatment? So, you know, it involves MRI imaging, and that can be expensive. So would the treatment be costly as a result? So, um, you know, they, you're, you're right. There's a cost to MRI. Um, MRIs get done for, um, you know, if, if, you, uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you twist your ankle or, you know, you tweak your knee, you go in and, you know, they, they do an MRI. So there's there's a lot of precedent for, you know, if you come into the hospital and you're in need, you can get an MRI. Um, you know, we're uh, certainly, you know, we're, we're still working on what the cost will be when this is out there in the world, and it'll probably go down over time. But you know, one, one thing to remember is that depression is, it, it's an enormous, it's enormous cost for the individual. It's a human cost. It's also an enormous economic cost. Um, la the last good data that I saw um, the effect of depression, um, the, the cost to the system in the U.S. alone is $326 billion a year, which is, you know, it, it, and it's because there's direct costs for medical care. There's costs for what you call comorbidities, which are, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're depressed, you know, there, there's likely to be a lot of other things that come along with that and a lot of other um, you know, a lot of other medical issues and um, impacts on your life. And that's, you know, that's also taking into account, um, you know, effect on the workplace, the family and productivity. So, you know, with, you know, with like any disease, there's a, and any new treatment, there's a journey to, um, you know, the, the, the people who pay for treatment, you know, which in this country is that it's the insurance companies and it's Medicare, um, you know, over, you know, it, over the next few years, we will work with them to make sure that they understand the technology and the benefit that it brings and uh, you know, the, the economic value of a treatment like this. So I have another question for you too. Um, can the device be used in conjunction with other treatments for depression like uh, medications, cognitive behavior therapy, anything like that? So um, the... The short answer is, yeah, there, there, you know, there, there's nothing preventing this from um, being used with, uh, whether, it's, whether it's cognitive and behavioral therapy or talk therapy or medications or what, or what have you. you know, the, these are patients who, um, you know, who have tried a lot of these things and they have treatment-resistant depression. So it, either it hasn't helped or maybe there's a medication that, that helps to some extent, but the side effects have been intolerable or, or what have you. Um, is some, some of these patients are, um, you know, they're, they're, not taking, they're not taking other meds, other patients are in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I, it, 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 depends on, it depends on the individual patient and the psychiatrist treating them, um, but they might choose to continue their meds, but use this to, um, you know, to finally uh, get out of an episode and enter remission. And then the, 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 the path after that depends on them and their, and, and their, and their physician. You know, they, they might over time choose to reduce their meds. Um, you could interleave this with therapy and, you know, really the, you know, the, the it, it's a complex disease. So, so the more things, the more things you're, uh, you know, you're doing about it, probably the better. Um, but, 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 but that said, you know, this is, um, you know, this would be the uh, kind of the, the, the treatment that finally 
gets you out of that depressive episode and into remission where you, you know, you might use some of these other things to help sustain your remission. Sorry, I have a follow-up question to that. So were the people in the study on any other treatments for depression or not? So my, my understanding is the, um, many of the patients in the study, they were, they were still taking their medications. You know, it's what mm -hmm. it's called best medical management. Um, you know, in, in all those cases, you know, they were, you know, they were in the middle of a depressive episode. So they, you know, they weren't getting great response for that. And in, in many or most, many or most cases, they, they, they continued their medication. Okay. Good to know. I think this is really great because, you know, you're really offering here patients a non-invasive, a non-pharmaceutical, you know, alternative to medications that may not be working for them. So I think this is really uh, a step forward in, in the field for the treatment of uh, major depressive disorder. Um, I'd like to know sort of, uh, you know, what are the next steps for both the Magnus system, this device in terms of regulatory approval and commercialization, as well as uh, the future for Magnus Medical going forward? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, for the, for the, for the technology, for the system, um, you know, we, we've been engaged in taking, um, you know, taking the technology that was used in this great research and um, making it into, into, into a medical device, into, into a product. Um, we, hope to, we hope to submit to FDA for clearance of that in the next few months. And uh, we, would hope to, we would hope to have clearance uh, at some point, uh, hopefully halfway through next year, 2022. And, uh, you know, the, you know there, there's a, um, after that point, then, um, you know, we, uh, we work with thought leaders, um, you know, psychiatrists at inpatient centers, eventually outpatient who think hard about uh, depression, and how to treat it. And we, we work with them to, to bring it to the world. Um, for Magnus, you know, what, one of the, one of the exciting things here is, um, as, as we talked about a couple minutes ago, this is, it, it's kind of a platform technology because there, there's so much need in treating network pathologies, network diseases, you know, these, these neuropsychiatric um, diseases that have been so hard to treat in the past. So um, we, uh, we, we have a, a active research programs in, in some of those other, uh, aiming towards some of those other applications of the technology. Um, a, lot of our, a lot of our resources will go toward um, great clinical studies that um, continue to map out the effects, not just in depression, but in, in other indications. And eventually we'll, uh, eventually we'll submit to FDA for those and uh, just kind of keep pursuing our goal of uh, restoring mental health, not just in depression, but in a lot of ways and sustaining it for the long term. And so, you know, I was just reading um, about you know, reading up on some stats and uh, the neuromodulation market is expected to, to hit over $8 billion by 2026, I believe. And so having been in this space for, for 20 years now, um, I can imagine how exciting it must be to have seen the evolution of neuromodulation. And so how do you see this journey having panned out in your experience and where do you see the space going uh, in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking because I, I I love to talk about this. Um, so, yeah, a, a couple observations from the last couple decades. Um, neuromodulation has been 
uh, it's been very powerful in in some cases. Um, you know, probably still the 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 best known and the most common applications of neuromodulation are spinal cord stimulation, where it, it's very effective for pain, and in deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease. And in both of those, they, they've they've gotten better over time. Um, in in other ways, neuromodulation has been kind of held back, and it's it's been held back by a, a, a lack of effect size, um, especially, especially on the non-invasive side. Um, there's a, part of that is because there's so much that we still don't understand about the brain and how everything works together that um, if, if, you, if you have a brain that's showing symptoms of a neuropsychiatric disease, then you can, you can stimulate part of it and things get a little bit better. But in, in a lot of cases, it's not definitive. Um, neuromodulation has also been kind of held back by, uh, and, and this is uh, coming back to some other fields, um, yes, especially other projects, implantable projects and things like that. Um, you know, neuromodulation has been held back by the lack of, um, you know, really effective fine grained interfaces, you know, the, the, the technology that we're using to, to stimulate the brain. And in a lot of cases, it's, um, it, it's types of uh, types of technology that have been around for, for decades and have just been kind of repurposed, which is, you know, it's, it's very effective. Again, you know, Parkinson's and spinal cord stimulation and things like that, that, you know, those are, those are very successful. Um, but the, the field is, it's, it's been challenging because we understand so little about the brain and it's also, it, it's hard to technologically innovate because, uh, this is a, this is a field where in order to bring an innovation forward, you have to, uh, you have to have this, this very clear signal from great clinical research that your new, you know, your new coil or your new electrodes or what have you are, you know, are going to be a real win for the patient and for the system. So, you know, I think one of, um, you know, one of the answers to this is, is personalization. It's, it's respecting the fact that every brain is different. Um, the, the notion of the power that could come from, um, from personalized medicine, it, it's, it, it's been around for years, but to, to really leverage that, we, we, have, to, we have to have, you know, again, better ways to understand the brain. And you know, what, I, I feel fortunate that this came together um, you know, for, for Magnus's technology, because the, the imaging and our understanding of those networks got to a point where, where we could make something that's really, uh, that's really profoundly effective. And you know, going forward, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully the, the types of data that we can gather from, from imaging, from, you know, other signals, from um, people suffering from disease, uh, we, we just get better and better at using that to understand how to stimulate, where to stimulate, um, what patients are going to benefit from one thing versus another, and uh, the the technology to interface with the brain, whether it's magnetic or electrical or you know, other means, just keeps getting better and better. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wingeyer, for your time. It was really great to have this insightful discussion with you, and I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it as well, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. 
If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.